We're starting a new series called Wise Up. Everybody say, Wise Up. Wise up. Turn to the person next to you and say, Wise Up. Now, just by a show of hands, how many of you have ever done something stupid, <laughs> dumb, foolish? All right, come on, come on, be honest, all of us. How many of you did something dumb on the drive over? Okay, no, no, you don't have to put your hands up. Your wife will point that out to you if you did. Let me ask you this question. How many of you guys would say I'm still paying for foolish decisions that I made in times past? Anybody still paying for some of that? Yeah. Um, as we jump into this series, I'm really excited. We're coming out of the book of Proverbs. And uh, last week, I just threw it out to you kind of as a prep. Um, I, I asked if you might would be willing to read a proverb a day with me and, and our team. Uh, there are 31 days in the month of August, and there are 31 proverbs uh, in the book of Proverbs. It is the wisdom book. We'll jump into that, jump into that in just a second. So uh, what I had our team do is they actually... Um, um, went on the Bible app and we kind of secured a little spot where you can have, um, if you'll go on the Bible app with us, you can have um, a daily uh, reading plan, one chapter a day with us. And uh, you're only five days behind because we didn't, I think August 1st was a Tuesday, five days, what is the fifth or sixth, whatever it was. Yeah. So, uh, so throw up the uh, QR code for them so they can see it. There you go. So, oh, sorry, Jesus might be in the way. All right. Move Jesus. There you go. Your guys aren't going to be able to get him. But anyway, so, uh, but if you want to uh, grab the QR code, it'll take you to that. And you can do Proverbs with us. And uh, scoot over, white Jesus. Good Lord. Look at that guy. Holy. He don't look Israeli at all to me. I'll tell you that right now. All right. So as we jump in today, uh, we're going to, uh, uh, let me just help you give you a little bit of introduction on the book of Proverbs. And we're going to do it for the next four weeks. Um, there are three wisdom books in the Bible uh, that are identified as wisdom books that, uh, that we can draw great wisdom and understanding from. Well, first one is Proverbs. Uh, the other one is Ecclesiastes. And another one that might surprise some of you Bible people, and that is the book of Job. They're considered the literary wisdom books. Um, if you will. And when you look at Proverbs, it's a list and primarily gets into principles of wisdom, how to walk in wisdom, principles uh, by which you can, um, you know, guide your life with these principles. You look at Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes then moves into the exceptions like, okay, so yeah, yeah, I did this, but then this happens. And then, of course, Job really nails down that whole thing that you can be a principle living person living for God and have horrible tragedy happen to you. And how to have wisdom in the midst of or how to be wise in the midst of difficulty when everything didn't go your way. So these are great books for you to uh, grow in and your faith as you read through them. So as we jump into Proverbs today, let me give you just a little bit of understanding. Proverbs was written primarily by Solomon. And uh, Solomon was one of the great kings of Israel. And, um, and Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3, um, we, we learned that David, Solomon's father, had been the king that basically brought Israel back together. Uh, Israel had been under the leadership of Saul. Saul had been rebellious against the Lord, so the Lord's hand was off of him. And so Saul ended up with many battles and many difficulties. At the same time, he's chasing David the whole time because David, when he was a little young man, was anointed to be the next king. And Saul wanted him killed because he didn't, obviously, he wanted to pass it on to his, his children. Uh, but God had been already had written him off, like, since you rebelled against me. I'm not going to let your lineage be king over my people, Israel. Now, Israel at this point in history is a, is a small nation. It's a, it might even be just a large tribe, if you 
will, and they're constantly being attacked. Uh, they, they, they would not be, a, be able to be a part of NATO. I'm going to just tell you right now. They are not that, that strong. They're not that valuable, if you will. And so David, under David's leadership, he basically secures most of their borders. He fights off the most of the battles and pretty much unites the people of Israel because they had been pretty divided as well. He unites them, and then when he passes on, uh, when he dies, he leaves the kingdom of Israel, if you will, to Solomon, his son. And Solomon's somewhat of a young man when he inherits the kingship. And in 1 Kings chapter 3, in a dream, God comes to Solomon and he says to him, Ask whatever you will of me, and I will give it to you. How many of you want that dream? I'd like that tonight, Jesus. Ask what I mean, he's like the you know, the genie in the lamp, you know, not three wishes, one wish. And in the dream, so it's this life altering engagement with God in our sleep time. And this is why uh, I just want to sidebar for a second. God speaks to us in dreams, by the way. And if you don't understand that, maybe this is a moment for you to say, oh, Lord, I didn't realize you might be speaking to me in some of these dreams I'm having. Satan also tries to attack you in your dream world. And that's why I pray for you frequently. You'll hear me from the pulpit pray against night terrors, against the inability to sleep, having to take medication because your brain and all these things throughout the day are just keeping you up all night long through the night. And, and then he's trying to attack you there. God speaks to us all throughout scripture. We find that he speaks to his people in dreams. So he comes to Solomon in the dream state that he's in. And he says, ask anything you will of me. And Solomon's response was unbelievable. He basically, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, and again, this is out of 1 Kings chapter 3, he says, he says, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a child, and I'm overseeing your precious people, the people of God. I, I don't know what I'm doing, and I don't want to make a mess of your kingdom business. So I ask you for one thing, and one thing only, give me wisdom, give me a discerning heart, give me understanding, so I know how to take care of your people. And I want you to look at God's response to Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 12. It says, Behold, I have done according to your words. God says, What? I'm going to do ex according to what you're asking. I have done it. So in his dream, he responds to him and says, I'm doing it. It's done right now. I've done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart. So that, there is, uh, so, uh, so that there has not been anyone like you before, nor shall any like you arise after you. God tells him, I am doing this in you right now. It is done. It is established. And there will be no one like you ever to come. There will, has never been anyone before you with this kind of wisdom and no one after you with this kind of wisdom. Jesus, obviously, I mean, is the great God of heaven and earth coming in human form. But as far as humanity... There has never been a wiser man to walk the planet than Solomon outside of Jesus. God says it. He says there will never be anyone like you afterwards. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. Now, can you imagine if God came to you and me in a dream and said, well, ask whatever you want. Woo. 
I don't think we'd ask for wisdom. We're like, Lord, can you get rid of so-and-so and remove such-and-such? -and, and Lord, honestly, if I can just win this billion-dollar lotto, I'll be fine. I mean, if you can just, like, it's amazing how many good, solid Christians right now, like, Pastor, you think it's all right if I just go? I'm praying for some numbers to put out there on that billion. I promise I'll tithe off of it. <laughs> trying to get money. Hey, Pastor, if you'll pray, God will give it to us, and I will tithe off of it. You're trying to manipulate me to get anyway. So, And so he doesn't do any of that. He didn't ask for riches. He, didn't ask, he just says, I need wisdom to be able to walk out this life that you've, that you've entrusted to me. I need super. And God responds and says, boy, what? You ain't asked for money. You didn't ask for your enemies to be murdered. You wanted what? He said, done. Done. And not only that, but I'm going to take care of all those other things too. I'm going to make you wealthy. And because of the wisdom that you have, you'll be in the In fact, if you'll keep reading down through that book of Kings, you'll find out that the most powerful nation in the world was still Egypt. And the queen of Egypt leads to the safety of her palace because she hears about this little nation and the power by which Solomon is governing it and the riches by which they are walking in and the supernatural insights that he has into the sciences. Come on, somebody. Into engineering engineering into management into corporate leadership into governmental affairs and she comes and she says to him I have seen you and how you operate here being in your country and what they have told me is not half of the truth this is the kind of wisdom that this man walks in Solomon literally taps into the wisdom of God and so when he writes the Proverbs, we even find in 1 Kings chapter 4 that it says that he writes down all of these wisdom things that he has learned. And he puts them in a literary work. We call it Proverbs. And so when we look at the Proverbs, we'll find that one of the things that Solomon does is he personifies Proverbs, or excuse me, wisdom as a woman. He and he, so throughout it, you'll, as you read it, you'll see she, talking about wisdom, she does this, she does that, she has this, she has that. And he literally personifies this great wisdom of God as an attribute of God, and he calls it a woman. He personifies it as a female, as a woman. And so as we jump in today, um, one of the things that we're going to study today is this word in the Hebrew for our word wisdom, and it is chokmah. Everybody say chokmah. That is the Hebrew word for wisdom, hokmah. And it's just, it's feel like, I feel like hulk, like hokmah is this Hebrew word. And I wanted to describe this word for you because wisdom in our English language in our modern times does not give a full picture of what hokmah is. So when he's talking about wisdom all throughout Proverbs, he's talking about the hokmah of God, the nature, the character of God that he tapped into. It's something so much more broader and supernatural than our little understanding of wisdom to make good decisions. It's beyond that. In fact, the Bible Project guys, I don't know if you know who they are, they describe it better than anything I've ever seen better than anyone I've ever seen be able to describe the original understanding in Hebrew of this wisdom word, chokmah. And so could I just for about 90 seconds, 60 seconds, I want you to see how they describe it so you can get a middle picture of what this chokmah really is and what wisdom really is. Play that for them. She believes that there is an invisible creative force in the universe that can guide people in how they should live. And you can't see it, just like you can't see gravity, but it affects everything that we do. 
So what's this force? Well, in Hebrew, it's called chokhmah, and it usually gets translated into English as wisdom. It's an attribute of God that God used to create the world. And chokhmah has been woven into the fabric of things and how they work. So wherever people are making good or just or wise decisions, they're tapping into chokhmah. And whenever someone's making a bad decision, they're working against chokhmah. Right, or as it says in Proverbs chapter 1, the waywardness of fools will destroy them, but the one who listens to wisdom lives in security. So it's like a moral law of the universe. Yeah, it's a cause-effect pattern, and no one can escape it. Come on, give it up for that. That was powerful. All right, so, so I want you to catch this. So Hulkmah, the wisdom of God, God put who he is into the fabric of humanity, into the operations of this world in this world system. It's called Hokmah or the, or, the, or the wisdom of God. It's a part of his character, his nature, who he is. And as believers especially, and even non-believers, they can tap into, we can tap into the wisdom, the chokmah of God. And as described here by, by these guys, there's also this foolish thing when we say, I don't want to tap into the chokmah of God. I'm going to do it my own way. It's literally rejecting the chokmah of God. And here's the mental picture you need to get. The creator knows his design, and he has put pathways to make what he has designed to work well. And so wisdom will give you goodness in life. God's chokmah will give you success in life. Why? Because it's his life that he created. We are created beings. This is his created universe. And in, woven into it is the right way to go through this universe, to live out our lives. And tapping into chokmah, 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 tapping into it will bring you success Peace, joy. I mean, these things that seem to be eluding a generation right now with such stress and turmoil and mental health issues and pressure. And the reason that is, is because we're not living wise. Everybody say, wise up. Wise Come on, up. say it again. Say, wise up. And he has put in the fabric of our beings his chokmah, his wisdom. And all we have to do is tap into it and live our lives in his principles that will bring us to this place of success in what he created. I don't know about you, but I need some of that Hulkmuth kind of living. I need to live in that space, and I want you to live there as well. So let's talk about the starting point, and let's open up to Proverbs chapter 1. The starting point of this Hulkmuth is described here in the first few verses of the first chapter of the book of Proverbs. So let me read that to you. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1 says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for obtaining wisdom and discipline for understanding words of insight. So I've written this down. I have tapped into the chokmah, and I'm going to write this down for you so you can tap into it. And this is so I'm writing these wisdom points, these discipline points for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a dis disciplined and prudent life. Can I put pause there for a little bit? Wisdom is directly connected with diligence, discipline, and prudence. This is why the Bible says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child and you've got to drive it out of them. And what's happened is we still have a foolish, young, ignorant, if you will, at times, generation who will not tap into the wisdom of God. Because the wisdom of God has discipline and prudence connected to it. And so when you find an undisciplined person, when you have uh, uh, an area in your life that you're super undisciplined in, what you're actually doing is yielding yourself over into foolishness. Hukma, hukma is connected 
to discipline. Wisdom for acquiring wisdom, discipline, excuse me, and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair. Verse 4, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. In other words, if you think you're wise, there's more you can learn. If you think you've got it figured out, there's so much more for you to tap into of the wisdom of God. Let them continue and add to their learning. And let the discerning get guidance. You already got, dis you already got discernment? Go ahead and let's add to that guidance in that discernment. This hokma place. There's never, ever, ever, ever a complete full of the wisdom that you can walk in. You and I can be wise. We can do the things of God in the earth in which we live and have all the successes that are put in our hearts to have if we'll only walk in the wisdom, the hokma of God. Verse 6, for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. And verse 7 is where we need to camp out for a few seconds, and that is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The beginning of hokma starts at the fear of the Lord, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Everybody, everybody say, I don't want to be a fool. I, I, I don't want to despise wisdom and discipline. Come on, say that with me. I don't want to despise it. And he says, the beginning of this whole knowledge, this beginning, the starting spot of Hokma. Where is the starting line of Hokma? It is to fear the Lord. To fear the Lord. Now, depending on what type of family unit you came from, what type of maybe church you attended back in the day, the fear of the Lord can generate and trigger some different thoughts, feelings, and emotions in you. The term fear in our vernacular of today, it, it, it exudes dominance, it, to be scared, to be horrified. That's not what this word is. That's not what this statement, the fear of the Lord, it doesn't mean to be scared or terrified of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not a feeling. It's a state of being. I'll say it again. The fear of the Lord is not a feeling. It's a state of being. I live in the fear of the Lord. I do not fear the Lord. He's my dad. I don't fear him. I'm not scared that he's disappointed with me, doesn't love me, doesn't like me. But I live in the state of the fear of the Lord that he is God and I am not. That he is all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing, all-seeing. He is awesome. And in awe of him do I live. Because of my position of allness, uh, when I look at him and know who he is, uh, because I take that position, then as a result of that, I am in the state of the fear of the Lord, if you will. John Bevere defines the fear of the Lord like this. It is to stand in awe of him. It is to honor, tremble, revere, esteem, respect, value, and venerate him more than anything or anyone else. John Bevere has one of the greatest teachings on the fear of the Lord. He has such a balanced understanding. And even describing it, he told a story, and I wanted to retell it because I lived through this era. He tells a story about, about in the 80s, one of the most famous, most popular, most anointed preachers going to jail. This, this minister uh, moved in miracle signs and wonders. This minister had a large television presence and ended up going to jail for however many years for mail fraud. And somewhere, John was a young minister, somewhere there was a connection, and this gentleman asked to get to see John Bevere. So John went to the prison, sat across the table, he's in his orange jumpsuit, and he just began to talk to him. He said, as this man began to talk, he said, it was the mercy of God for me to be able to be in this jail. I have come 
full circle and, and supernatural things are happening in my life and I am awakened to things that I had missed and so forth. And so John just finally asked him, he said, I couldn't take it anymore. He goes, he said, brother, when did you fall out of love with Jesus? When did you stop loving Jesus? And the, and the guy in prison says, I never stopped loving Jesus. I love Jesus throughout that whole thing. And John said, he pushed back and he said, whoa, 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 whoa. You were an adulterer. You were stealing the people's money. What do you mean you never fell out of love with Jesus? And he said, I never stopped loving Jesus. I stopped fearing the Lord. He said, I never stopped loving him. I just no longer respected the power and the awe by which he operates in. And I no longer put myself in right position where I need to be. The reason why I put this cut out, this is the best one we could get at, at the last few minutes. So this is the chosen one, if you all like chosen. If you don't, sorry, okay? All right. I asked Jesus to come in person, but he said, no, he'd send his cutout. So there you go. Or some dude who might try to be his cutout. Anyway, so I want to illustrate how I see the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord really comes to this place in my life, and I think this is the best illustration of understanding the concept of the fear of the Lord. And that is that the Lord, Jesus, is the center of my universe. He's the center of my universe. What I mean by that is everything I do, everything I say, everything I think, I come to a place of Jesus, what do you think? What do you have? What are you doing in the earth? How can I, like the appellants, how can I be obedient to you? I'm willing to leave my place of comfort to follow you. What do you have need? He's the center of my world. Unfortunately, most of us live like this, that we are the center of our own world, and we ask Jesus to circle around us. And so when we want something, we say, I need you to give me this. So this is what happens. When he doesn't give me that, then we say, then you're no longer in my world. This is what's the problem with modern Christianity. And so not only that, but not only in our universe, it, we put a little bit of Jesus, but we put a little bit of kids, jobs, money, our interests, and we are the center of all that. And we want it to circle around us. And this is how we've raised our children. And so that's why our children lose their mind when they go to school and they get told they can't do that. Ah! What do you mean I can't do it? That's because they are the center of their world. Everything in their world is it revolves around them. My parents revolve around me. Money revolves around me. I am God unto myself. And that's what we have. And so we bring that into our Christian walk with Christ, and we're mad that God didn't heal us when we wanted him to heal us, that he didn't give us the money when, he wanted us, when we wanted the money, that it didn't go the way we thought it should go with that other brother in Christ, that the small group people didn't be nice to us, and so we get mad. When Jesus, when we have a fear of the Lord, he is the center of my world. So when things don't go the way I want them, it doesn't matter because he's the center of my world. I revolve around him he does not revolve around me. And this is about the best way I can give you a mental picture of what the fear of the Lord looks like. It is the starting point for wisdom. The reason why we have so many Christians who are foolish is because Jesus is not the center of their world. They do not fear the Lord. Awe, respect. Here's another way to illustrate the fear of the Lord. It is to treat it as such, so valuable. For example, I fear electricity. I use it all day long. I don't live in, I'm not terrified of it, and nor am I scared of it. But I, re, I, rep, I understand the power by which that 110 volt is moving, those, the, that 110 is moving through these electrical sockets. So I do not take a fork and stick it in there and say, let's see what happens. Right? 
right? I respect it. I honor it. I value it. Are you with me? I, I, I do not say, electricity, I'm going to do this and you're going to do nothing to me. Electricity is going to say, I am what I am. I am power and you are not. And I'm going to fry your brain if you try that stupid thing. He is God and we are not. His ways are the right ways, not my ways. No matter what my mama told me growing up, come on somebody, no matter if they made me a little prince running around at school or whatever we were successful at back in the day, at the end of the day, he is God and we are not. His ways are the right ways, not what we learned in college, not what we've been watching on TikTok, not what our friends said over here, not what how grandma said it. His ways are the right ways. This is the beginning of wisdom, to come to this place and say, you are God, I am not, whatever you want, however you want me to do it, so I don't have a problem with tithing because he said to tithe. I don't even bucket. I'm like, uh, nah, I wouldn't do it that way, but okay. Why? Because I want to tap into the chokmah of God. I want to tap into the deep understanding of the one who created. It, it, you know, back in the day when I first, my wife kept bringing home these big boxes from Ikea. I'll never forget when the first box shelf from Ikea came. And she's like, can you help me put this together? I'm like, absolutely. I get my drill, get my screws, let's go. She unpackages it. And there are instructions on top of instructions. Well, every good man knows instructions are from the pit of hell. I'm a man, and I know how to put doggone bookshelf together. I tried to put that bookshelf together based on American thinking. Not on European thinking. And they got these little things. You stick them in, you lock them, and you turn them, and you hook that little thing, and nail that little piece of wood. Why are you putting a little piece of wood? That ain't going to hold nothing. You lock it into this. And so four hours later, the thing I built was worthless. I had to throw it away. Let's go get another one. And then I said, let me learn how to do Ikea instructions. I'm still bitter about it. But everything that I did according to their instructions is still standing. His wisdom. He built it. He built this earth. He created humanity. He put the systems in place. No matter how perverted, no matter how wicked everything around me gets, he has wisdom to navigate all of the wicked things that are happening and around me and through it. All I have to do is stay tapped into Hokma. Everybody say Hokma. Say say Hokma. Say I need some Hokma in my life. There you go. And so with that being said, one of the things that I would encourage you to do is get out of the foolishness and come into the fear of the Lord, for it is the beginning of wisdom. Let me just give you a couple signs that you become the center of your world and Jesus maybe isn't the center of your world. And that is, you, every day you ask this question, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? Most of the problems that we have in the church trying to lead and, 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 and keep us all together comes down to this. That's not good for me. Yeah, but it's good for the church. Yeah, but it's not good for me. So I don't want to do it. What that is, is, is you are Lord of your life. He's not Lord of your life. You're the center of your world. He's not the center of your world. You love him, you're probably going to go to heaven. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about how to tap into wisdom. And the starting point of tapping into wisdom is the fear of the Lord. It's to surrender myself to his leadership, his ways, his awe, his power, instead of fighting against it. 
And one of the ways you know that you are the center of your world instead of him really being the center of your world is that the first question you normally ask in any kind of situation is what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of this? How, do, how is this going to make me feel? How, what, what, how, they're going to take advantage of me. Here's the next thing that I found as a sign of those who are the center of their own world, and that is your conversations always filled with me and I. Well, I just don't feel like that. You don't. Yeah. I, you know, I feel like this. I, I, I think, it, you know, what's important for me and my family. Okay. It's a telltale sign for any of us that are in leader, Christian leadership. We're like, oh, okay. Well, once I have a three-minute conversation with you, and I've heard me, I, 20 times. I know who's the center of your world. You are. You are the center of your, you fear yourself, not the fear of the Lord. You're living not in the fear of the Lord. Again, I'm not scared of him, not scared that he's going to hurt me, just the opposite. I am in awe of him and his ways are right. That's the fear of the Lord. Here's another sign that you're the center of your own world, and that is when it comes to problems, you ask, why is this happening to me? When Jamie and I, we've come to the place where we're tapped into the hukma of God, he is the Lord of our life. When we get to problems, we, our first question is not what it used to be when I was foolish and young and I did not have the fear of the Lord. But now what we ask as we're a little further along in our faith and we've surrendered ourselves to his lordship and the fear of the Lord. Now what I ask is, Lord, in the middle of this problem, how can I make you great in the middle of this? How can you shine forth and do supernatural things in the midst of this difficulty? Because you are God. Let me tap into the wise thing, the, the wise pathway in the midst of this troubled situation. This is really what Job is all about. Job, you're learning that in the midst of hardship, not to curse God and to stay in his chokmah. And in that, supernatural things happen. Here's the next sign that maybe you're the center of your world. And that is the Bible is a chore instead of your guidance system. Ah, oh, I've got to read the Bible. Oh, Pastor, I keep saying we've got to read the Bible. Mm, that means to me that he's not the center of your world. Because let me tell you something. If they had told me 35 years ago that there was a manual, a book, describing this woman on the front row, that I could understand her in the depths of who she is, I would have memorized that book. <laughs> Do you know how much peace I could live in? <laughs> like... There are still days, 30 years into it, I'm like, what chapter is that in? Because I missed that chapter somehow. Where's that book at? The problem is we're writing it in real time. <laughs> but the Bible is the everything God wants you to know about himself. Every bit of how to live out this life in total goodness with him, in partnership with the one who created you. And so one of the key signs that you don't have the fear of the Lord that you are the center of your world and he's not the center of your world. Is that when it comes to reading the Bible, it's a chore to you. It's a chore. Like, I don't even get it. For me, at this stage in my life, it's my guidance system. I wake up and go, Lord, I don't know what to do. Give me something here. All right, that ain't good. All right. You know. Here's the next sign that maybe you're the center of your own world. And that is you rebel against the teachings of Christ. Oh, my goodness. I'm telling you right now, I love you guys so much, and I love being your pastor, but it is amazing how quick you rebel against the things that Jesus taught, like, oh, I don't know, forgiving your brother. Oh, I, oh, I don't know, if your brother offends you, go to them. Instead, you come to me. And want me to fix it? Like, I got to, because then, ding! I just changed their mind, supernaturally, with a prayer. 
you'll never have conflict with them again. Like I have some kind of magical tool or something like that. No, in disobedience to it, you don't understand why you keep having conflict. Because you've not tapped into the hukma of God where you actually obey what he says in his scriptures. And because you don't, because you think that your way is better or you know better than to just simply surrender to what he's put in, the pathway that he's put in place. And so I am learning still to just say, you know what, Lord, your word is magnificent. And I just, I just, whatever you say, do it. I'm going to do it. I've, at some point you grow up and you realize I'm tired of being stupid. I'm tired of paying for dumb decisions from 10 years ago. I'm tired of still having to deal with the problem that I created 20 years ago because I was stupid. And so, Lord, just you just tell me where to go. I, I, I'm at that place in my walk with Christ, and I want you to get there quickly as well. So let me give you some of the promises of Hulkman. You're not going to believe Proverbs chapter 3. He starts laying out these promises of the Hulkman, the wisdom of God. Look what he says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom. The man who gains understanding, for she, here he is personifying her as a woman, for she, wisdom, is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. Do you hear what he just said? Wisdom is more valuable than great riches of the earth. It does, listen, if you, will, if you will tap into the hope of God, you will, have, you, will be, you will have more than you never, ever could need when it comes to resources. It's more valuable than that. It is more profitable than that. Verse 15, she is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Now think that through for a moment. You all can probably desire some things that you think is like, oh, I think what I want, what I desire is probably better than wisdom. No, no, no. He said, at the end, the wisest man to ever walk the planet who tapped into the wisdom of God, this pathway of God, this understanding of God that everyone else doesn't seem to be able to get to, he's tapped into this era, this area of God's consciousness, and he's got the wisdom of God. He says, listen to me, get wisdom, because it is more valuable than anything else. Anything you could desire will not even come into comparison for having the hope of God working in your life. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. Somebody say amen. In her left hand are riches and honor. Everybody say, give me some of that. Her ways are pleasant ways. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. I need some pleasant ways right now, especially in this next election cycle. And her, all her paths are, I'm sorry, I keep telling y'all for the last, you know, 10 years, I don't know if you should vote for Lucifer or Satan. I mean, we just keep ending up in these situations. I don't even know. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. Peace. Her, the hope of God, the pathways of the hope of God are peace. That's why in the New Testament it says, let me be led by the peace of God. That my feet shy with the preparation of gospel peace. I only go where there's peace. Why? Because I've got wisdom that's beyond my generation. I've got wisdom of the I've got wisdom from the one who created it all. I've got guidance from these wisdom understandings from the one who developed it, packaged it, and gave it to us. Wisdom in all my pleasant ways, and her paths are full of peace. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. I don't know about you, but I need some Hulkman in my life. I want that right there. How I many you want that right there? I want those promises. Wisdom gives you a better yield on your investment than anything else. So let me just say it like this. Wisdom give you, will give you short-term sacrifices for long-term enjoyment. He said, man, I want to go out with the fellas tonight. Oh, my God, but I know I'm going to get drunk. But, man, it'd be fun. Been working so hard. 
Short-term enjoyment, long-term difficulty. That's what foolishness gives you. Short-term pleasure, short-term enjoyment, long-term difficulty. Wisdom, on the other hand, short-term sacrifice, long-term enjoyment. This is the difference between foolishness and wisdom. And so in, the, in this whole book of Proverbs, he keeps telling us, invest in wisdom, invest in wisdom, invest in wisdom, invest in wisdom, invest in it. I want to just give you a couple thoughts on investing wisely. If you, back in the day, had invested $10,000 in Apple's IPO, just $10,000, in the years, early years of Apple, that would now be worth $14.2 million. $10,000 in the 80s would now be worth 14.2 million. If you had invested $100 in Bitcoin in 2010, 13 years ago, that would now be worth $10 million. $100, look at the difference between wisdom and foolishness. Long-term enjoyment, short-term sacrifice. This is what wisdom says. Foolishness is get it now, enjoy it now. That $100 meal that you went out and ate in 2010, if you had invested that into Bitcoin, one meal where you took a friend out in 2010, you would now be worth $10 million. So I didn't even know anything about it, right, because you didn't have wisdom. I didn't either. Now I'm praying, oh, Lord. <laughs> Grubhub, no, that ain't going to work. <laughs> All right, how about this one? If you had invested $1,000 in Amazon's IPO when they first began, uh, it would now be worth 1.1 million. Short-term pleasure, short-term foolishness leads to long-term difficulties. Invest in wisdom. So I want to give you just kind of the closeout for the next couple moments. What I'm calling daily steps to walk in the hukma of God, to walk in wisdom daily. It's what you can do every day. You're with me? Say yes. You want that? Say yes, I do. I want to know, what do I do every day? I want, I want to tap into the wisdom of God. I want to tap, in, tap into this hope of God, this supernatural nature of God that he affords any who ask. And, and that Solomon had a full grasp of and was the wisest man to ever walk the planet. And therefore, because of that wisdom of God, lived a life of great success, riches, fame, fortune that came from around the world to figure out how he organized his people, figure came from around the world to see how he did governmental We, I'm telling you right, I'm praying some hokma on the people in leadership in our government right now. Like, tap into the wisdom of God. Stop using all this foolish, demonic things of, of a generation. Start tapping into the wisdom of God. So let me give you a couple of easy steps. I don't do acronyms because that's 90s and I don't do them, but I will give you all of these. We'll start with the letter A. So it's a new little thing for me. I'm testing it out. Number one. <laughs> admit you need wisdom. Admit it. You just need to admit it. To admit that you need wisdom, you know what that means? That means that you're being authentic. Right? And to be authentic, you're basically saying to yourself, this is my true self. I'm just going to be my true self. I don't know what I'm doing. I, I, I need to admit it. A few years back, I was on this airplane flying somewhere. Two seats in front of me was this little couple, new couple, just had a baby. This baby was probably 12, 13 months old, almost a little toddler. I don't know what stage we call them toddlers. And the little child is doing just fine until we start taking off, until we start breaking that 10,000 feet. And you know how you, you've been taught to clear your sinus passages 
so that because the pressure, the cabin is pressurizing, you're getting up above that. And so, so they've never been taught that. This baby starts losing its mind. Ah, ah, and they're stuffing stuff in its face, trying to get it to drink stuff. And it's, like, ah, and it's just, ah. And I'm sitting back there going, clear its nose. Give it a piece of gum. Something. Because you're making me insane. I hadn't bought the, uh, I hadn't bought the uh, noise-canceling headset yet. And so I'm losing my mind. Finally, we get up. They put something in its mouth. It starts chewing. And you can literally see it go, and, ah. Well, then we go to land. And it's one of these guys that wants to land for 25 million miles out. You know, drop it down to that space and just ride it just above the tree line, right? And so this baby starts losing it again. And finally, I reach up. and they, Hey, you got to help her clear her sinus. You got to help her. You got to help her clear that. There's pressure. And they're like, what? The whole time I'm thinking, Ask. Admit that you don't know what you're doing. You're a first-time parent. You have no idea what you're doing. The best thing you could ever do is stop being arrogant. And just because you were able to get on, on Amazon and buy all the new features doesn't mean you know how to raise a kid. Admit it. You're scared to death. You're scared to death in the middle of the night when your 17 video monitors show the little princess taking a breath. Oh, my God. I think she stopped breathing. She's dead. You get around some of these older mamas in the faith, and they're like, oh, baby, they'll be all right. You don't need no monitor. Stick them in the garage. They'll be fine. <laughs> you need to admit that you don't know what you're doing. Some of you are at it in a job. God's blessed you in a position. You don't know what you're doing, and you need to admit it because only then can you start tapping into the hope of God, right? Because it takes authenticity. Which brings me to the second little piece that you should do daily. Admit, number two, ask. Ask the Lord for wisdom. Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. Help. I don't care what you're doing. Business, family, relationships, engaging with God. Help. James chapter 1 verse 5 even says it like this. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. Who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. Can you imagine incorporating this into your business practices on a daily basis? Say, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing here. I, I, I've got put over this project. I really don't know what I'm doing. I need your help. Show me the hope of God. Show me the wisdom in this project. Show me what to do. He may reveal something to you. He may give you insight. Whatever it is, tap into the hope of God. But you're not going to tap into it if, number one, you won't admit that you need it. And, number two, if you don't ask for it. I don't know about you, but I, I, I've had my kids... Now I want to ask for help, so I let them fail. I've let, listen, I have let them fail because they wouldn't ask. All they had to do was ask me. I see them over there, they're trying to fix something, when they're bloodying up their knuckles and trying to turn a wrench or something, trying to put the chain back on their bike. I'm just watching them. And Jamie's like, you going to help them? No, they didn't ask for help. Why? Because to, number two, to ask for help means that you come to an understanding that you've got to walk in humility. See, it requires humility to ask for help. And it, that requires authenticity that you don't know what you're doing. And so you and I need to say on a daily basis, I need help. I need help with that. How many of you love to help someone who asks for help? I do. I love to ask for help. I, I mean, I love to get someone who, who's in trouble and they need some help. I love to help them, especially if they ask for it. I love to do that. that it, it, it makes me feel valuable. And I taught this to my children, but my number two, my middle child, got this better than anybody else. So she was brilliant. She'd just walk in and go, I need some help. 
I'm like, okay, baby. And finally, I realized she lazy. She give me to do her job for her. That girl, brilliant. That girl's so smart. Oh, my goodness. She got me. I'm walking around. Okay, baby. I can have anything you need. Brilliant, child. Just brilliant because she learned how to ask for help. Dr. Lindsay, who's the president of Christ for the Nation, he like, likes to tell the story that um, his wife, the diamond ring that he bought her for their, for, for their engagement, she lost the diamond out of it. And so he didn't have the money to go buy a replacement. And not only that, it was special to him. And so he said he started praying. He said, God, I don't know what to do about this. This is important to us. And he started asking the Lord. He said, Lord, I don't know what to do. Would you help me? Would you help me? Would you help me? And he said, in one day, in the parking lot of their offices, down in the gravel, he gets out of his car and he sees something shining. We're not talking about attached to the ring. We're talking about the little diamond has fallen out. And it's down in the gravel. He reaches down picks it up and says thank you Jesus and he goes and gets that thing reset with six prongs this time instead of four that sucker's in cage now it'll never come out again I don't know about you but I don't even know if I have faith to ask for that right like I'd be like that's gone like oh well I mean finding a diamond in a parking lot you don't know where you lost it she didn't know if she lost it at home in the car and, and the, it was so beyond his ability to be able to figure out in his own strength that he had the wherewithal to say Lord this is important to her it's important to me if it's important to you would you help me tap into your wisdom could you help me and when that prayer went forward and he started having that Jesus you're the center of my universe it, it doesn't matter if it doesn't happen that's fine but I would I would like I would like to be able to find that for her Boom. Which brings me to the third little daily steps to walking in the hukma of God. You ready? Here's another A word. <laughs> How does that sound? Um, <clears throat> act on his wisdom. Act on his wisdom. So number one, admit you need wisdom. Number two, ask the Lord for his wisdom. Number three, act on his wisdom. Proverbs 3 and 5. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not to your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So look at that. that so that I ask, I admit, I ask. And then, he, and then when he shows me what to do, act upon it. Act upon it. Just, all right, man, it doesn't make any sense. The Bible says it like this. The things of the spirit are foolishness to the carnal mind. So God tells us to do things that make no sense to the natural concept of wisdom or intelligence. In fact... Atheists, agnostics, say about us Christians that we are limited in our intellect because we follow a God we cannot see. They have lived their life in the foolishness of what they think is wise, wisdom, and knowledge. We have tapped in, on the other hand, into the Creator's knowledge, to the one who made all things and generates all things. And so it's going to be foolish to them because it makes no sense because they live as the center of their own world but because we live in the fear and admonition of the Lord and the fear of the Lord and he says do this it may not make sense to them it's not supposed to because it's God's ways not the world's ways and so when we tap into that and I'm just telling you when I act upon things that the Lord tells me to do it is unbelievable the breakthroughs that I've had I can remember one time a person that did Jamie and I dirty, dirty, dirty wrong, and my natural tendency is, you're dead to me. And the Lord, in his scriptures, and in, and in prayer, said, I need you to go and recreate, reconnect that relationship back to him, even though they've done you wrong. I'm like, that's the devil. I ain't doing that. I bind every high thought that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. 
That ain't no sense. That's only I can't trust them. I can't trust them. He said, I ain't tell you to trust them. I told you to go reconnect with them. And so I did. I humbled myself. I reconnected with them. Six months later, they connected me to a relationship through them that transformed our whole life in the direction we were heading. <laughs> because what I did was actually acted upon his wisdom and not just sit around preaching about it, but actually walked in it. There are going to be times where you ask for his wisdom that what he tells you to do is not going to make a whole lot of sense in the natural because it's his supernatural wisdom at work. It should line up with the word of God. It should, it should, those around you that are spiritual leaders in your life should say, yeah, I see the Lord on that. And then as you act upon it, you will have supernatural guidance. Admit that you need wisdom. Ask the Lord for his wisdom, for his chokmah, and then act upon it as he gives it. And this requires trust. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Listen to me. I don't know in my 50 plus years that I have seen a more foolish generation. And I don't mean that as to try to, to, to talk bad about someone. I mean that we have lost the hope of God in our, in our nation. We've lost it. The wisdom of God. The supernatural way of him doing things in the earth. Solomon lived in a wicked time. He tapped into the hope of God. He wrote an entire book called Proverbs about these principles that will lead us and guide us into the hope of God. And like never before, you, me, we need the wisdom of God. We need the wisdom of what is this nation going to be 20 years from now? What's going to be 50 years from now for your, for your grandkids? We need the wisdom of God. We need men and women who call themselves believers to come back into the fear of the Lord and then let him lead us in his chokmah so that we can change our nations. So we can change, excuse me, not just our nation, but the nations of the world for him. We will have revival when the people of God tap into the chokmah of God. And we'll know to go here, not go here, say this, do this, not be caught in traps of our own foolishness. And it is time for you and I to come out of the foolishness of the past. Now, there are men and women in this room, you are still paying for foolish decisions that you made five years ago, ten years ago. And here's what I want you to do. Today, before you leave, I want you to pull out your phone, pull out your, pull out your little notepad on, on your phone, and I want you to ask the Lord for wisdom on how to turn around foolish decisions that you made five, ten, fifteen years ago. I want you to ask, as you humble yourself, and you say, Lord, I admit, I don't know how to get out. I now have a baby mama drama that I don't know how to get out of. All I want to do every weekend is stab this person. That's all I want to do. So, Lord, I need your wisdom. I admit that I put myself in this situation through bad choices. And now, Lord, I want to make wise decisions going forward so that I can have the peace, the rubies, the favor of God in my everyday workings. We need the wisdom of God like we've never needed it. We need to admit we need it. We need to ask for it. And then we need to respond. And whatever he tells us to do, then we just need to do it. And we'll move with him like that. Would you stand with me all across the room? Stand with me. Hey, thank you for joining us online here at Hill City. We're so honored that you would take the time to join us remotely and to celebrate the goodness of Jesus. 
I hope that word spoke to you. I hope that you were blessed today. And I hope that you are encouraged to go forth in the confidence of Jesus this week, wherever you are. If you made a decision today uh, to serve Jesus for the first time, we want to celebrate with you. Would you text DECIDED to 469-606-2684? And uh, we want to respond. And again, just connect with you and celebrate the beginning of an amazing discipleship journey with Jesus. Don't forget, next week we are here again, same place, same time, 9 o'clock. And until then, we hope you have an amazing week.